0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen On, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, March the 13th, 2023. Uh, earlier today, did a show with the uh, Dutch... Uh, American historian, Ian Boruma, the collaborators, a book about uh, deception and survival in World War II. Um, He argues that in and out of war, we want to and do indeed deceive ourselves about who we are, our lives are fictions for better or worse, which is perhaps in uh, Boruma's mind why we often commit evil acts or we certainly collaborate with evil Um, our conversation today is entirely different but on a similar kind of theme um, my guest Susan Verde is a New York Times best-selling author mostly of uh, children's books Uh, some of you will be familiar with some of her work Um, uh, there is an I Am series which is perhaps uh, captured by one called I Am Human, a book of empathy. Um, she writes what she calls feel-good fairy tales. Uh, and she has now what we might think of as a feel-good memoir, Say One Kind Thing, uh, lessons of acceptance, love, and letting go. In many ways, it's the reverse of um, Ian Buruma's book about deception. Susan is joining us from... Uh, Her home in East Hampton in New York. Susan, welcome. Congratulations on the new book.
1: It's out tomorrow,
0: but available today for those of you who want to order it um, off uh, online booksellers. Susan, are you, and I don't want to compare you, obviously, to, to Baruma because it's an entirely different book and you're an entirely different writer, but are you suggesting that we should or shouldn't be honest with ourselves. Is that the, the key to happiness, deception or honesty?
1: Uh, I, I think honesty for certain. I, you know, whether that's the key or to happiness or not. I mean, I'm not sure that we've found the key to happiness um, but it's certainly the key to growth and change and healing. Uh, so I think we need to be honest with ourselves if if we can get there.
0: Is this a memoir or something different, say one kind thing?
1: It's, it. it you know, it, it, it started as uh, a little bit of a sort of, I don't know, thoughts on parenting or kind of trying to do the same things that I do for my kids' books. And it became more of a memoir. Uh, as I wrote, I realized that if I was going to, talk about things like mindfulness and you know caring for yourself and whatever, I, I needed to share my journey and my work with that.
0: What's the difference, Susan, between writing books for adults and writing books for children?
1: Oh, well, <laughs> obviously the audience is different and your use of language can be different. Um, I also think with writing for adults, there is this opportunity to be more vulnerable uh more honest not that you wouldn't be honest with children but in a different way um the process is very different when I'm writing children's books I always feel like you know I've got this team behind me and there's all this collaboration and you know I can always call up my editor or talk to the illustrator or whatever it is and with an adult book it's you alone so it's it, you know it was me getting up every morning saying okay i've got to write this today and you know so it's it's a different process i think it feels it's more internal and uh alone
0: more challenging i guess um yeah. did, what did you learn or what have you learned from writing books about children in terms of the nature of the message of the narrative um, that, that helped you write this book for grown-ups feel good uh, uh, the, the, the the new book um, uh, Say one kind thing.
1: You know, I um, one thing I've learned about writing for children is that they they understand more than they are given credit for. Uh, there are concepts that we can talk about, that seem big um, and hard to access for kids, but actually they really do get it uh, such as empathy, compassion, authenticity, things like that. And I believe in using the language, Um, but it's, it led me to this book because I, I, in all of my writing and conversation with kids and exploring what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and then having parents and teachers ask me questions. I actually, I had, uh, when I go, I go to visit schools often and talk to kids about writing and me and mindfulness and all of that. And um, a couple of times I've had kids say to me, you know, are you always mindful do you ever get upset do you ever yell and you know of course my answer is no i'm not always mindful yes sometimes i yell sometimes i lose it you know and i i sort of thought this adult book would be an opportunity to talk about that um so they kind of got that ball rolling about sort of what what the struggle is what the journey and certainly not suggest that you know we can all find happiness by being kinder to ourselves but what that really can look like in in real life
0: you use the the m word which is an important part i think of your right of your writing artillery and perhaps your intellectual um thoughts what exactly is mindfulness uh you know people use it all the time um susan often i think people make don't use it with a a a a great deal of uh shall we say mindfulness um what, what does the word mean in your mind
1: So, you know, mindfulness is interesting because um, if you ask someone often what they think mindfulness is, they they will respond by saying it's it's kindness or it's um, helping other people or things like that. And those, I think, are the potential results of mindfulness. But mindfulness itself is just this deep awareness of what is happening in your life in in a particular moment. Uh, so it's a paying attention, meaning it could be paying attention to, you know, your natural surroundings. It could be paying attention to the person you're communicating with. It could be paying attention to what your inner voice or, or intuition is telling you. So mindfulness to me is really about paying attention to your life in the moment.
0: Is um is this book uh, Say One Kind Thing, is it a, a manual of mindfulness? Is it a, an attempt to teach your reader how, how to be mindful?
1: It's not, actually. I was very intentional about not making it a sort of how-to book at all or suggesting that you should do this or should do that. Uh, what it really is is just a sharing of my experience, my own trauma, my own... Um, challenges and how those tools have helped me, Uh, you know, maybe you'll see something in yourself. Maybe you'll see something that you can hold on to and try. Um, Maybe you'll just feel seen and heard, you know, that's the hope, but it's certainly not a, this is how you need to practice. And this is what it will do for you. It's more just sharing my experience in the hopes that that will, you know, release something in the reader
0: so tell me about your life uh susan what is it about your life that um enabled you to write say one kind thing and 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 what do you reveal about yourself in this book
1: well i think you know my my life so far has been um a journey of 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 healing a journey of finding my tools and kind of grappling with my past trauma as I was growing up. Um, and sort of, it's, it's, my life, you know, I, I, everybody has their own struggle and their own trauma looks different for everyone. And there's no suggestion that mine is, you know, more or less or whatever, but it's just how I've taken all those terrible thoughts about myself. Um, which began when I was very young and how I carried them through the different stages of my life so far and how I've been able to, to, to handle them, to recognize them, to perhaps move forward or uh, perhaps make some changes. And, you know, once you become a parent, there's nothing like kids to sort of bring up your past (laughs) trauma that you thought you put away and didn't. Uh, And so then it's, it's, it's another stage in which you need to pay attention to your own responses and reactions so that you don't put those on the next generation. Uh, so, you know, that my life has been like everyone's life, up and down and um, full of difficult things and wonderful things. Um, but it's been a struggle to find that kind of kindness to myself that I'm always trying to share with, with children as well.
0: You talk about trauma or what we Brits might call trauma um, and the journey of healing of finding oneself. Uh, You talk about self-confidence. Is the trauma that you experienced, your narrative, is it one of self-belief of not having faith in your abilities?
1: I think that's part of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, it's, it's, it started quite young in terms of my relationships with my family, my, my parents, um, the language they used, the things they said to me, uh, about me, and that sort of stuck in my head, and it's been a narrative that I've carried with me. What
0: sorts of things did they say?
1: Um, you know, I've come to recognize, I try to say this with some compassion because I've come to recognize that they had their own experiences as we all have. And that influenced how they were with me and with my brother. And But um, there were a lot of uh, conversations about or, or comments about being worthless. Uh, that's a word I heard over and over when I was growing up. There were high, um, there was a desire for a higher achievement, but sort of low expectation, which was kind of strange. Um, there was a lot of anger and verbal, I guess, abuse, you would say, as I was, uh, when I was a child. And, um, just hearing that about yourself over and over, you, you start to internalize that and, and, and use those words back at yourself. You know, every failure is because, oh yeah, well at heart I'm not worth anything. So of course I, messed this up or every achievement is like well that's great but just wait wait until the you know it's gonna get worse that kind of thing um so it's it's really been a struggle of of speaking back to those voices
0: it's interesting I, I was listening to an interview with David sodaris best-selling like you are best-selling writer I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work or his yes, life he's but wonderful. he talks about the the central role of his father in bullying him and making him feel entirely worthless. I'm not sure how his father compares with your parents uh, in this. But he also in the interview, it was pretty interesting. He said that um, it wasn't my interview, I was listening to somebody else interview him on another podcast, uh, that he he, 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 it wasn't that he celebrated his father's death, but he didn't care. Uh, in terms of your relations with your parents um do you have to in terms of this narrative this journey of healing the distancing from your parents is it is it um essential to distance yourself to such an extent that in a way they're no longer your parents
1: no i for me no i mean I, i I did feel there was a certain point in time where I had to distance myself, it, you know, and I, I needed to kind of figure out what I wanted my life to look like or to begin to look like. But as I went on, I think what actually, we actually got closer. I mean, now my my mother is my, you know, my best friend. I talk to her every day, see her every day. Uh, but I think so you've it was, forgiven,
0: you've forgiven your parents. I've forgiven, uh, I've
1: forgiven both of them. I forgave my father before he passed away, and I've forgiven my mother. And I think that uh, the way I've done that is to just be really honest about how I felt and to, to see if they were going to accept that and sort of, you know, own it, or if they were gonna say something like, get, you know, get over it, you're fine, whatever. Uh, and I wasn't I wasn't certain but but we had you know a lot of it was finding finding out more about who they were and what they went through and then understanding why they expressed themselves the way they did you know it doesn't mean that I never hear that voice in my head anymore I absolutely do but uh, it just means that I've I've been able to forgive them and as my father was dying it we we became it, incredibly close. So at least we had a moment of that.
0: Say, uh, say one kind thing is, of course, um, it's not therapy, it's written by um, uh, uh, it's written by you, you're, you're not a therapist, but at what point does your work and this kind of book um, become a kind of therapy?
1: Well, I'm certainly not a therapist, although I've had a lot of therapy <laughs> of my own, so I do have experience with it. I think it's just how you receive it. You know, if you if you can receive the the book as helping you in some way, understand you're not alone, or you know, forgive yourself or someone else for something, then I guess it can become a kind of therapy or a kind of tool or help. Um, again, I'm not, you know, claiming to be a therapist, nor am I telling you what to do with your, your life, but I've always found that in the sharing or in the reading or in the conversation, when I've been able to pull something out of it that I can relate to, it's always therapeutic. It's always a step towards healing or a step towards, uh, you know, coming to terms with something. So I think that's where they they might cross over.
0: Your book, as I said, is is about positive self acceptance. It's about um, positive self talk too. Is this supposed to be honest or fictional? Do we need and this comes back to Ian Baruma, a very different kind of book, very different kind of period that he's writing about. But are you suggesting that we need to fictionalize ourselves a little bit to make ourselves happier? Because brutal self-honesty often is quite disturbing and might actually deepen the trauma that you talk about.
1: It's that is true. That is true. And again, that you know, that might be something that you do with the guidance of an actual therapist. I don't, you know, it my for me, this was this was very honest, this was very open. Did I tell you every painful secret of my life? No, um, but what I did say was real true to my recollection, you know, every, everybody has their own sort of perspective on a, the same situation. Um, what am I suggesting? I, I, you know, I, I don't know that it's fictionalizing, I just think it's finding the good, the good. You know, it's yes, there, there's brutal honesty and you, but that doesn't mean pointing out your own flaws and picking apart the kind of person you are. That's just, it's more about the brutal honesty in terms of what, what do I feel? You know, what is my intuition telling me? What can I say to myself that's kind and real that counters whatever these other thoughts that aren't real, you know, that's kind of the fiction part. I mean, if I was fictionalizing, I would be holding on to the worthless, you know, useless kid that I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But by being honest with myself and really allowing myself to notice the positive, the good, the way I can counter those conversations in my head with a voice that's not someone else's, uh, that kind of honesty, I think, is, is incredibly helpful. I don't, I don't think you need to fictionalize. But again, the point is, is that you don't need to be cruel to yourself either.
0: Your children's books celebrate every human. And there tends to be, in my sense at least, the cultural zeitgeist is to celebrate every human and to reward every human, the, the the shift in the, in the cultural climate has gone from one where your parents, like so many other parents of previous generations, were rather harsh, perhaps too honest with their children, to one where at least some people believe that we're not honest enough, that we reward them all the time. We tell them they're wonderful. We give them prizes even if they finish fourth or fifth. Um, are you concerned about that in the broader culture? Or is that unfair?
1: I, I think it's important for, for kids to, um, you know, experience some minimal level of adversity so they have problem-solving skills, so they know that, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to win everything every time. Um, but they're, but they're I, not good
0: at everything, that not everyone yeah, can be but a champion. Not everybody can be...
1: Right. But I think it's the way we communicate those concepts. Like you can, uh, you know, give a child a compliment. So I was a teacher for many years and I remember in some of my education and then in my practice as a teacher, I, you know, instead of if, if a child came up to you with a piece of art that they had drawn, you know, it was a, I don't know, a cow or something, instead of saying something like, that's the best cow I've ever seen, or "I love your cow." You could say things like, "Wow, I really like the way you used the color black and you know, black and white next to each other. I really like the way you colored in the background you know, blue and green, whatever it is. So you're giving them sort of compliments, Um, that are quite specific, but you're not saying like, this is the best thing in the world, because I think that sets them up for that kind of response every time you can, you know, you can even ask them, what did you find challenging about this? You know, is there anything you struggled with? Like, I think those are the kinds of real conversations we need to have versus everything is perfect. You're perfect. The world is perfect. You know, Uh, definitely, your children need to know that they are loved unconditionally, that they are valued, but they're not always going to be the best at everything. And I think it's good to point out it's not just them. It's it's everyone. Everyone has their challenges. You know, these are the things I struggle with. These are the things I feel like I'm really good at. And that's okay with me. You know, it's 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 more about that than sort of, you know, telling them they're the best at everything all the time, because I think then that's where the self recrimination or the disappointment in oneself comes when you do fail at something and you don't have the tools to kind of get past that.
0: I wonder though, whether your journey of healing from your trauma of being told by your parents that you were going to be a failure and you were pathetic, um, whether that might be a better model, you... You're a survivor. I use that word carefully, of course. I'm not sure you would refer to yourself as a survivor. But you've survived something and you've built out of that. And you've become a strong, uh, positive, self-accepting human, which is what the book is about. It seems like today we're creating the reverse kind of generation. Young people are afflicted with terrible anxiety. We can't blame it all on the Internet or Facebook or Instagram. It seems as if the cultural atmosphere has changed twofold. Firstly... Maybe we are better parents. We're more loving, more accepting. But on the other hand, we seem to be bringing up a generation of kids who are more anxious and lacking um, self-confidence. Is there some truth to that? I mean, you're very familiar as a parent, obviously, with kids, but also as a teacher and as a children's book writer. Should we be concerned about what some people describe as our age of anxiety when it comes to the younger generation?
1: I mean, it's, it's so, you know, I have three teenagers and they're, they all struggle with anxiety. Um, especially in fact, I had one of my children texted me today and said, I'm feeling really weird about the state of the world today, just in the middle of the day from school. Um, and I, you know, yes, I think there, there is a little truth to, being, growing from adversity, right? From, you know, if your parents didn't show their love or whatever they did, you push back against that. And a lot of people find themselves thriving, but a lot of people don't. Um, And it is a lot of work. And as a parent, it's difficult to, you know, constantly be fixing yourself and then being the best parent you can be It's, you know, it's really, it can get really muddy and mixed up. So I, and I know we can't blame all the anxiety on the internet and Facebook and all of those things. I think that what I've noticed about the generation, at least the, my kids' generation, um, they're 19 and 17. So they, the way they communicate with each other is very intense. It's very deep. Mm. It's very thoughtful. Um, It's very aware. And I, I, you know, on one hand, I think that's wonderful, but these kids are really, and I think perhaps it's the way we have parented where we are constantly communicating, right? And I don't think that's a bad thing. But it allows them to then dig deeper and express themselves, which a lot of times can lead to a lot of anxiety. There are going to be kids who are more political or know more about the world, or you know, know more what's happening in the news. And there are kids who are struggling with mental challenges, and they are talking about that. But I've found that they communicate so deeply and intensely, and don't always have the right information, which is the unfortunate part, you know, which is perhaps because of internet or you know, political. Division or whatever it is, um, but they do communicate. They're not holding it in as much, even though the anxiety seems to be so much more. It's 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 very tricky to know what the the root cause is. But I think as as parents, this generation, I you know, I think we are trying. I think we're trying. Many of us are trying to, like I said deal with our own stuff that we've sort of shoved to the background and at the same time trying to be different with our kids and you know maybe that's we haven't found the right balance yet Um, but I it's it's a hard one to to kind of figure out what the cause is yeah
0: it's it's really interesting because I think you're absolutely right there is an intensity to the the way in which the younger generation talk to one another. It's almost as if, and, and maybe this is a social media thing or not, but it's almost as if transparency and privacy has been done away with. Um, so that everyone said, uh, you know, the, the movie, everything just won the uh, the, the long Oscar. But Everyone says everything to everyone else. Nothing is barred. Nothing is internalized. So the internal and the external are done away with. And also the language of therapy, many of these kids go to therapists, many of them are on one kind of therapy drug or another, cheerfulness pills. It's almost as if the language of therapy has been taken out uh, of the the medical space and has been universalized. Uh, am, am I exaggerating or is there some yeah,
1: truth? No, I think that? there's some truth to that for sure. And But it's such a I, it's such conflicting things happen at, happening at the same time because there's that and there's this language they use and there's this ability to kind of tap into or explore what they're really feeling and thinking with one another. But there's also, you know, and again, I, I hate to blame everything on social media, but there's also the fact that... Well, you can every-
0: do that with me, uh, yeah. Susan. Yeah
1: well everything is so open and so there in front of you that they become desensitized to a lot of it too so it's a strange it must be a strange thing to go on internally for them you know on the one level a lot of these things that are going on the world are on in the world are very scary frightening on the other hand you're seeing so much of it that it's 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 you, are, you become desensitized to it. So just, you know, there's school shootings are terrifying, right? Awful. And the kids worry about them. But then we see videos of shootings or shooters and, and there's a little bit of a disconnect, you know, because it's just out there and accessible to everyone all the time. Um, so I think I think that sort of internal, like, I'm terrified at the same time. This doesn't feel like such a big deal at the same time. I have my life I want to live, at the same time, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> you know, all of that, I think, leads to a lot of this anxiety.
0: And of course, uh, in association with this, maybe uh, the root cause, not so much social media, is the death of religion. Um We did a book with an australian writer uh we did a show with an australian writer wendy Seifert, about uh the sunny nihilist about the pleasure of pointlessness um what's the role or the absence of religion and belief in external moral codes in your book stay one kind thing Uh, are you a sunny nihilist in your own way by
1: suggesting
0: that we all retreat to ourselves and that we all have this journey of healing and of finding oneself through mindfulness and yoga
1: i don't you know i don't claim that that's the answer to everything i think community conversation connection all of those things you know you you don't want to uh go to internal so that you're excluding the outside world. I, you know, I think it's, there is in my book, as far as religion goes, I don't ascribe. I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish. I am not practicing. I, my, my kids have their own opinions and feelings about religion. Uh, I don't, I don't go there. I don't go there. You know, I don't feel like it's my place to put that on anyone. Um, and, uh, you know, I have I have my own thoughts about it as well. So I, I, I do think there is something, there can be something lovely in the sort of giving in to, not that life is meaningless or pointless, but just that not everything is so major. There are some things you can let go of um because in the end we're all going to the same place um but i also like this idea of you know our lives do have meaning and they have meaning because we get to experience whatever it is we experience and that is kind of exciting
0: but we create our own moral codes these are not in your view the, the book is called Say One Kind Thing. Might it be Say Say One Forgiving Thing? You forgave your mother and your father when he died. Um, children these days, some of them even seem to be divorcing their parents. Um, do we need to teach our kids to forgive, given the intensity of their moral lives these days?
1: Uh, you know, I think forgiveness is can be very important and very, um, therapeutic, I guess. Um, it's not, it's hard. Forgiveness is difficult. Um,
0: Harder than kindness.
1: I think they're both sort of part and parcel of the same thing. Like if you can, If you can have empathy, if you can see someone else's point of view, if you can try to have compassion and learn where they're coming from, you are more likely to forgive them. Um, But I think kindness doesn't take that much exploration into someone else. It's really the way you want to show up in the world. You want to be kind, not nice, not faking it but really coming from a place of i don't know who this person is or what they've been through and because of that i'm going to be kind whether they are or not um forgiveness i think is a little more it's a little more challenging but still important um if you, in the deep relationships that you you have and also in terms of yourself you know we've got to forgive ourselves for things too i mean i as a parent, when I screw it up, you know, I, I've got to somehow let that go and forgive myself for that. Uh, and that that that's hard. That takes work. Um, but I think they're all sort of in the same sphere, kindness, forgiveness, compassion, because they're and they're things that you, you know work on giving to yourself and also can work on giving to others.
0: Well, maybe that can be the the title of your next book, Say One Forgiving Thing. Some people might be watching this, uh, Susan, and think, oh, this is all very well, but there you are in the town of East Hampton, one of the the tonier parts of New York. You live well. You've got three children. You're a best-selling writer. You have the privilege, and perhaps even the white privilege, of, of writing and thinking about these things. Is this... Um, a class book or a class issue say one kind thing does it lessons in acceptance love and letting go it's much easier for wealthy white people like yourself and i to think about these things and perhaps people from the uh the inner city people working three or four jobs one-parent families is there a class element to this argument this book
1: i I agree with what you're saying. I mean, and even in my preface, I do mention that, you know, I, I do have the privilege, right. on many levels of, of being able to self-reflect, to go to yoga, to go to therapy, you know I, I do live in a lovely area, although it's not as affluent as people might think for us year round folks. (laughs) Uh, But um, you know, and I, I have three kids, I'm a single mom. Um, But anyway, really, I don't, I do think that privilege, privilege allows us to do a deeper exploration. My hope is that this does not other anyone and that it's just because it's my experience because it's not a how-to, because I'm not telling you, you should, you know, go get a pedicure and make yourself feel better, Um, that this whole self-care thing that everybody says all the time is, you know, so easily done and everybody can do it. Uh, What I'm just doing is, again, sharing my experience. And I don't think some of the basic things that that I've gone through that I talk about are any different from anyone what i the way i've been able to approach my healing and dealing and and helping myself i absolutely have the privilege of doing that and i don't take that for granted Um, but you know i think sometimes just the mere idea of being seen or knowing somebody has the same feeling as you can can be a start can be a way of connecting no matter who you are.